one of my proudest moments in Kit and Ken was walking through the dining room and seeing white people eating right. fufu <laughs> and stew with their hands. Oh. And then a Nigerian table next to them teaching them how to do it. It was like... A talk across the tables. <laughs> this is why I do this, you know? I want to see all walks of life mm-hmm. eating this food that they probably would never be eating. Right. Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food and Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, and oh my goodness, my (laughs) guest today is somebody who I professionally and personally just adore, and he is having, I dare to say, the week of his life, Kwame Onwachi from Kith and Kin in D.C., and there was, uh, yeah, and other projects too, Philly Wing Fry, author of the new memoir, Notes from a Young Black Chef. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Kat. You know, I equally... Feel the same about you professionally and personally. Oh my gosh. We text like every single day. We I do. Think, we since we met in Copenhagen. We do. So actually, <laughs> I'm sorry to the audience about what's about to happen and to spring this on on Kwame. That actually, what we're going to do is turn out the lights and let Kwame have a nap. Oh, nice. <laughs> just for the next hour, you're nice. just going to hear sleep sounds from Kwame <laughs> because the thing that we text about. Um, I mean, a whole lot of different things, but the through line is that we remind each other to breathe. And yes. which is, uh, we had discussed this, I, I believe, in, in we were at Mad Symposium in Copenhagen and connected because, you know, we, I, I'm pretty open about talking about mental health, but that's a way of dealing with stuff myself, too. Mm-hmm. And we had a pretty open uh, discussion with people from around the world uh, about that. Um, but then we started texting each other. And uh, <laughs> so this week, <laughs> not a big, much has happened this week. Can you detail what has happened since, like, uh, starting with the weekend for you? Starting with the weekend, I was in Los Angeles mm-hmm. uh, filming with San Pellegrino for the James Beard Rising Star mm-hmm. Um Category for the awards. Yeah, so that nomination came through your A finalist. Yes, yes. Um, it's always been a dream of mine. So <laughs> it's very surreal to be out there with all the other, you know, amazing chefs that are in that category. And then I got on a plane to come to New York to shoot uh, for the cover of Food and Wine magazine. <laughs> because <laughs> he is a best new chef. And the great thing, so a little bit behind the scenes here, the calls came down the same day for the beard announcements and our uh, restaurant editor at large, Jordana Rothman, calling you to say that you are a best new chef. Yes. The same day. I'm literally on the (laughs) phone with her. Then I get a text and I'm like crying. Like (laughs) like I'm talking sniffling, boo-hoo, crying. Um, It's it's crazy. And Well, so you were in town for shooting the cover of that and also for the reveal of that. And the party where that was celebrated also doubled as a release party for my book. This beautiful baby. Yeah. 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 It's uh it definitely was overwhelming leading up to it. You know, I yeah. texted you all the time. <laughs> but um it definitely feels like a little bit of weight lifted off my shoulder now that the book is out. Yeah. Now that the best new chef announcement is out. Yeah. Um, the beard shoot is over with. Yeah. Um, I can continue working in the restaurant. Grinding <laughs> exactly. as you do. So let's talk through the process of writing the book. You and I have both written very, very personal mm-hmm. books. And I think what a lot of people don't necessarily 
know or they might intuit this that writing those books isn't hard just because it's hard to sit down and write, but because you it comes at a in order to write a really authentic book, you have to revisit the worst things that ever happened yeah. to you and and be really honest with that and kind of live in the present with the past. And I got physically ill mm -hmm. um, with that digging up. Can you talk about the process of bearing your, your life and your soul to, mm -hmm. the, to the world in writing this book? So, you know, when we go through these things when we're younger, yeah. you know, we kind of like crumple them up into a really tight ball yeah. and then store them somewhere deep and dark. And in an organ. In an organ <laughs> where no one can find. Yeah. But when you're writing a book about your life story, mm -hmm. these things start to unravel naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a tough process and you yeah. get through it day by day. But um, it's, uh, it's really uh, cathartic in the way that yeah. like you're telling your story in a therapeutic way. Yeah. You know? And it's it's hard uh, to sort of learn how to do this, to take the thing and bubble it up to the present and then dissipate it out. I, I know that when I wrote my book, I had to have a deal with my husband mm -hmm. where saying, you know, I am going to be kind of not my best self for a while. I'm going to have to just go into a hole and write this thing. But said, if you see me doing that or if you need me home. Yeah. You can say come home and and talk it through. So you have a fantastic fiance. Yes, yes. And so how did what was your life like as you're you're launching a you know, restaurant mm -hmm. and going through all of this and coming off of Top Chef and and all of this? How did how do you reconcile that relationship in in the moment? So it was a lot of when. I was ready to talk about these things. Yeah. It, it was it was that was the approach that we took because I've never talked about them to yeah. anyone, period. Not even her. Yeah. Things that I went through as a as a child. Yeah. You know, things that have made me who I am, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Um so when I would tell her that like I'm writing a chapter about this point in my life, she's like, Well, you've never opened up to me about this. Yeah. Like I would like for you to tell me I don't so I don't have to read it in a book, yeah, you know, so, um, and then I would have to, I, I would tell her when I was ready and, and that's, yeah. that's what it, that's how it went and having yeah. that support system made it kind of okay to like release and it was therapeutic, you know, it was like yeah. going to therapy and, you know, I was talking yeah. about my life and, and documenting it yeah. every single day for two and a half years. Yeah. And it's, and it's such an intensely generous uh book because you really do lay it out on the table in a whole lot of of ways about talking about growing up and then i think a part that's been talked about a lot in the media is your experience in fine dining kitchens so mm -hmm. let's talk about your career path this this sort of fire in your belly <laughs> yeah. to want to be in in the kitchen and especially in a fine dining kitchen where people with your face mm -hmm. are not often seen Let's talk about that. Like, how did you, how did you recognize that this was the thing you wanted to do, and then deal with the fact that in your, in your book you talked about a, something where uh, a chef said to you, like, "You're not welcome here. You're not wanted here." How do you know that that's your place and and make it your place that it, it should have been all along? Yeah. Well, that's a loaded question. That's a yeah. great question. Um, yeah. Let's talk I, about it. I think it has a lot of let's answers. So step we'll start into with the, the discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. So we'll talk about the fire in my belly and yeah. how I got you know to where I am and why I'm sitting across the table from you right yeah. now because I think it's important for the listeners to understand Absolutely. that. Uh, my mother's a chef. Yeah. Uh, she was an accountant and she wanted to she had babysitters raising us. She wanted to spend time with us yeah. while still you know 
keeping the lights on per se. Of course. So she started a catering company from the house, and me and my sister became her first two employees. I love it. How old were you? I was four or five. Oh my gosh, yeah. little tiny Kwame. Yeah. So I'd have a little step stool. I'd be yeah. pe- peeling shrimp was the first thing I learned how to do. Muscle memory exactly. must be so deep within you. <laughs> exactly. And then making the trinity, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, onions, bell peppers, and celery, mm-hmm. and then make stirring roux, my mother's Creole on yeah. Trinidadian, so we have a lot of French influences right. in our cuisine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that roux is religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I started, um, you know, fast forward a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, as you'll read in the book, I actually broke her cutting board that was passed down to her. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried to like get rid of it and right. she found it and it didn't go over so well for me. So she sent me to Nigeria um, <laughs> to teach me respect. Uh, my father's Nigerian. Mm-hmm. I ended up staying there for a lot longer than she yes. had promised I would. Um, and I came back with a you know, newfound sense of appreciation for life. Mm-hmm. You know, Went to college, dropped out, yeah. hated it. Only thing I knew how to do was work in kitchens, you yeah. know. So I started working in the dining room. I started working, at, you know, from rib shacks to. You were at Kraft. I was at Kraft. <laughs> yeah, I worked all the way from Louisiana to New York City. Wow. Um, and then I started a catering company mm-hmm. when I was uh, about like 20 years old, like in mm-hmm. the footsteps of my mom, and sold candy on the train in New York. <gasps> and nutcrackers. And, and nutcrackers <laughs> in order to save up money. Um, so that's how it introduced yeah. me, like into really cooking. And this then is I in worked your blood. at some. Yeah, it's in my blood. My great, my grandmother had a restaurant. My great grandmother yeah. had a restaurant. So when you talk about fine dining, I, I was really. Uh, attracted to it just yeah. for the attention to detail. Yeah. You know, it's something that I've always been in tune with my whole life, yeah. you know, whether it's inside the kitchen or outside the kitchen. And when you're in fine dining, you know, getting to the, the end of your, your question, you give your all to it. Yeah. So like you talk about per se, I wasn't getting paid to be there. Yeah. You know, I was there for six months, mm-hmm. you know. You weren't allowed to sit. I wasn't allowed to sit at, at the at the meetings, which was it was Jeez. normal for the apprentices. You know, um, I don't think that's how you treat someone, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, when you talk about someone saying not wanting you there, yeah. which is you know to your point, which was vocalized, which was vocalized. I Ugh. I remember thinking in that moment, like, damn, you know, like I'm <laughs> I'm putting in the hours, yeah. you know, sixteen hours a day. I'm not getting paid, I'm, and that's mm-hmm. okay. You know, I'm. My head is down, but like the one thing you want to judge me on is something that I can't control, mm-hmm. which is the color of my skin. Yeah. How does this, like, I'm just here to work, you yeah. know? And these are the things I was screaming on the inside. Like, yeah. I'm here to work. I'm working just as hard as this guy. But you just have to say, yes, chef, and put your head down. Yeah. And that's the that's the industry, you know. Yeah. That's how it is, fortunately. But that the the there's trauma to an internalized scream cuz eventually like your bones can't take it mm-hmm. anymore. It becomes it and for some people it can become just part of part of their their body and who they are and they might internalize it in this particular way if you're told that long enough, you might believe it and you've heard things from various people like trying to categorize you oh you should be doing collard greens and all Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff but (laughs) you knew your rightful place in a kitchen Mm -hmm. and so you went from per se to talk about your path away from there and 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 sort of following that that thing in yourself um from there um i went to 11 madison park oh yeah yeah 
and that was there. And then after there, I went on the road and did pop-ups around the country for about two years. Yeah. 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 And there's... It's such an interesting thing because like the two kitchens that you mentioned are probably two of the most meticulous places on the planet. When I think of you, I think of you as a deeply meticulous person in, in, okay, he was the fashion star of Best New Chefs. Everyone was paying attention to your, your jackets, your shoes, your, all, all of that kind of stuff. So meticulous in, in dress, in, in your food, in your language, in absolutely everything. Do you give yourself permission to be a person at times when do you get to let your your guard down um i think in this book i let my guard down yeah i think that's the the time where you can capture it and you know um i think when i have a lot of discussions with people like you Mm -hmm. i let my guard down Mm -hmm. you know i don't do it with everyone it's it's it's, i feel uh, really lucky to have you in my life i feel the same way i I feel like i mean you've changed the way i looked at things in that one conversation that we had in copenhagen oh my gosh and I, I kind of wish everybody could have been in uh, <laughs> in that tent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it was physically a tent we it were sitting on. Tent, yeah. Hay bales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, with hay on the floor, and it was muddy. And we were talking about yeah. mental health. And I, I had a very um, internal moment yeah. when you were talking, and I was, I realized at the moment when I was doing my pre shifts, I was mm-hmm. talking to myself. In the restaurant. Yeah, you're the head chef. Mm-hmm. So because I didn't have anyone to, I don't have anyone to call and then anyone yeah. to talk to because we have to have this like stoic facade. Yeah. yeah. We are always on a hundred. You mm-hmm. know, we have to have our stations the cleanest in the kitchen. Right. We have to always be clean. We have to always mm-hmm. have nothing going on. You know, right. in every sense of the word, from the top to the bottom. Right. And. For me, pre-shift was the way for me to get it out there, talking to myself. Right. And I realized that in that conversation that we had. Yeah, that you, it's the thing that you have to share because all eyes are on you. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to talk about all eyes being on you because it is from your team. It is now from the world at large. And it's also a thing where, you know, I, I first, uh, you know, I met you in person, you know, sort of later on, but I got to know you on Top Chef. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my dearest friends, Isaac Toops, was on. On your, mm-hmm. yeah. on your season, and I was in it for him, and I was like, bonus, <laughs> who is this other wonderful person on there? So you became on my radar. But the, your life changes when all of a sudden you're in front of the camera, and when you're opening up high-profile restaurants, and when there aren't, again, a whole lot of people with your skin color who are who get the capital to open a restaurant, and so much gets put on your shoulders mm-hmm. from that. And that's got to lead to some fear mm-hmm. with that. Can you talk through that? Those pressures of representation have <laughs> yeah. got to be massive. It's a lot. It's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of sleepless nights, not because mm-hmm. of anything other than your mind yeah. thinking. You're like, just thinking at all times. Yeah. Like, what if no one comes to the restaurant? You know, what if service goes horribly? Yeah. I'm off tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What if somebody really important comes in tomorrow? Yeah. You know? What if somebody calls out tomorrow? It's my only day out of, you know, the month that I have off. Yeah. If someone calls out or gets sick, I still have to go in. Like, there's so much riding on it, and it, it comes with the territory, yeah. you know. Um, I have three restaurants, so I'm always wow. filling in for someone that's calling <laughs> right, out or right, right. delivering something or receiving something. Um, but the added pressure, like you said, of, you know, I it happened to me. I mean, I was on Top Chef when I was... 
24. Tiny baby. Yeah, 24 <laughs> years old. So I was still growing as a chef. Yeah. I still am growing as a chef. Yeah. You know, I don't. You think remain I've, young. <laughs> I don't think I've reached my my you know where I want to be or even close to it. Yeah. And you know, while still growing up as a professional in this industry with the spotlight on you. Yeah. Is um, it's intense. Yeah. Yeah. So what does your support system look like? My support system are my friends. Yeah. Um, my fiance. Yeah. You know, my family, my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she I call must be them. so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> I call them regularly. Um, they check in on me regularly, see how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I can talk to them about anything. Are you a phone person or a text person? Both. Yeah. Yeah, both. Um, but it's having those people that kind of like believe in you more than you believe in yourself. Yeah. So they're with you through you know, the good times and the bad times. Like I closed a restaurant after being open for three months after working on it Mm -hmm. for two years, you know? And having those people that were there with you before all of that, that can reach down and pick you back up. Yeah. You know, when you yourself feel broken is, that's what has kept me going. So you you talk in the book really generously about your emotional journey after Shabiju Mm -hmm. uh, closed. Like I've been in that pit before and you know my body is built that way my brain fires bad chemicals Mm -hmm. and I super internalize it when uh you know when something happens and I catastrophize it and make it a reflection of my whole self and I really think like I have failed I failed everybody around me I've failed the world at large and Mm -hmm. and and that kind of thing even when it hasn't really been a failure something might have finished up something might have done whatever because to me, you didn't fail at Chabichu whatsoever, but I can imagine the internal narrative because you're a very harsh critic of yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When something happens and it doesn't work out, you know, I think failing is not trying something. Yeah. You know, let's, to, to be quite honest. So, like, yeah. um, not trying is failing. But um, we as chefs, as business owners, you know, yeah. we're also giving opportunities for people, but people depend on us for their livelihood. Yeah. So when a restaurant closes mm-hmm. and you see 20, 30 people without a job, it's all that, all that is on you, especially when your name is on the marquee. Right, right. Yeah. So let's talk about then the decision to go into business because it's one thing to work in other people's Mm -hmm. restaurants. And then when your own name is on the line, well, first of all, getting anybody to invest in you is difficult (laughs) no matter who you are. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, especially if you're young and imagine, especially if you're black and especially you just all, all the different factors of it as well. So can you talk about raising capital to Mm -hmm. open the places? So for me, you know, I wanted to go from working for someone to working for myself um, because I just, I like to be as creative as possible. You've got that that control. Entrepreneurship um, with deep within you too. (laughs) Yeah. I've been doing it, you know, since ever since I could, you know, and you'll read about my entrepreneurship in the book in all different ways. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You've, you've always had hustle, (laughs) (laughs) but um, raising capital for me, it, it, it became with partnerships. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's very similar to what, you know, Missy and Sean was talking about the other day when we were at the mentorship. Yeah. Um, it's about the partnerships. It's not about like just creating a business plan and like shopping it around yeah. and getting a group of investors. It's like that one on one. Um, and if it makes sense, you know, then you, you go for it. Yeah. Just to give people a little background on what we did the other day. So as part of 
uh, Best New Chefs, the thing we've been doing for the past couple of years, is getting together the, the new chefs who sort of come there like deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're the second class I've seen uh, go go through this. And it, it was a different format last year, but this year we went to George Mendez's uh, restaurant, Eldea, mm-hmm. um, have the whole top floor, and we had some really heavy hitters. We had yeah. Tom Colicchio, mm-hmm. Rocco Despirito, Jonathan and Amelia Sawyer, uh, Missy Robbins and Sean Feeney, um, and, and Jordan Ludwig, just like really great people sharing stories about business and mental health and all this kind of stuff. And Missy Robbins and Sean Feeney uh, of Missy and Lilia have a pretty incredible partnership that has taken a lot of time to develop for the trust to build up Mm -hmm. and then the constant work in it too. Finding a trust with somebody is, is really, really huge. It's huge. It's, it's very, very important. And that conversation really, um, you know, hit home for me and <laughs> yeah because um, you talk pretty intensely in the book about like partnerships that had that maybe you know were challenged at, at some point where mm-hmm. you you know fall into bad behaviors sometimes yeah people reveal themselves over time yeah. you know and it's important to vet your partners and uh to get yeah. to know them for a substantial amount of time you yeah. know before you decide to do this incredibly intense, hard <laughs> thing that's going to take over the majority of your life. I think next to marriage, <laughs> that is probably the most intense partnership of, of your time. And uh, and actually probably in some cases it's harder than, than marriage because mm-hmm. it does, you know, it operates on all these different wavelengths and you don't necessarily get to like kiss and make up at the... Yeah, or just walk away. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it takes work to, to do that and have that trust build up. And I know that with Sean, with Sean and Missy, uh, you know, they were neighbors for seven years mm-hmm. before any of this this came into play so they really had that deep and fundamental open thing but now you know the eyes are, are turned you're working in somebody else's kitchen and you're you're the man now and you wrote an incredible essay for food and wine and by the way we had this podcast scheduled and we had that essay scheduled before i knew you were going to be a best new chef so. yeah that is true so yeah. that was pretty exciting and in the essay, there was this funny part. I was looking through it, and you you were saying all these different accolades, like James Beard nomination. I want it. Like best new chef. I want it. I and had no idea any of this was happening. No, he wrote all of this before it happened. So it was like, you know, I always make jokes about like Oprah and The Secret, mm-hmm. but I kind of believe it. I believe it. You write it down, make it happen. That's another book that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that one, but mm-hmm. maybe I need to know yeah. it now. But you also wrote in that about the experience of like the delivery guy coming in and not identifying identifying you as head chef and just like the eye roll of like you've gotten to the place that you do and you still have these like micro and macro things Mm -hmm. that happen that are affecting your day that you have no control over yeah yeah and I try to let it not get to me as much as I did when I was younger yeah you know um I just sign and like keep firing off tickets because like that's my the guests are my main concern Mm -hmm. you know but it's unfortunate and I know all minorities in this industry go through it women go through it yeah you know um women of color go through it a lot very very (laughs) much um always having to uh define your role for people and being it's written on your damn jacket they should just read the freaking jacket it's crazy it's crazy so let's talk about then how you have built your dining room and what Mm -hmm. it looks like to include all different kinds of people because you also wrote in the uh in the essay about the experience of like going into a restaurant and having a a second of like why is he here how does he know about it kind of thing Mm -hmm. in the same way that Corsha Wilson Oh, of course, Wilson um, yeah. had had written an incredible piece about like sort of dining while black mm-hmm. and and but the thing is there are dining rooms that it that really just should and could 
and must be in the future more inclusive. So how does how does that look? What can people learn from what you have done to extend the hospitality in dimensions that they haven't before? Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking about this last night. I was in Philly doing a, a book signing and a chef had reached out to me and yeah. said like, you know, what you said really resonated with mm-hmm. me. I came up through fine dining in New York City. Mm-hmm. Some of the same restaurants you worked at, I'd love to just meet and talk with you about this. Yeah. And we were talking about like, he was like, it's it's unfortunate that it's not going to change. And I was like, the only way it changes is if we start talking about it. Yeah. Because when you talk about it, I'm not looking to like um, talk about one person and say like, this person did this right, to me, right. like totally unfair. Like I'm recanting a story. That's all that I'm doing. Yeah. And when you start talking about these instances, it makes people think. Yeah. It makes people think about they make when they make certain jokes. Yeah. It makes people think about when they're um, judging somebody when they're yeah. first walking into a restaurant. Yeah. And that's my goal for this is just start the discussion. Yeah. It's not to blacklist anybody. I, I'm yeah. not I'm not interested in that. People have worked really, really extremely hard in their careers. Mm-hmm. But it is to open the dialogue mm-hmm. so people start thinking about what they're saying to people and how they're making people feel. Yeah. And I really hope we get to a point uh, in this where like this work gets taken off your shoulders. You work so hard already and then to put the extra work of having to talk about all of this and, and, and solve this and stuff. You're using your platform in a really important and generous and meaningful way, but I want you to be able to relax too and like oh. I think about you a lot and 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 I, I just uh, you know, I want you to be well, and I want mm. you to sleep. The, actually, so the thematic necklace this time, I wore, like, uh-huh. <laughs> sort of moon and stars, because this, uh, it makes me think, like, it's sleepy time. Yeah, sleepy time. I think, I think I have a lot of work to do. I think it's yeah. an honor and a privilege to be mm-hmm. given a platform, yeah. to be Food and Wine Best New Chef, to yeah. be nominated by the James Beard Foundation. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting for that my whole life, but also I've been waiting to inspire people. Yeah, and yeah. I've, I've been doing talks. That's how I got the book. You know, I would give a speech on my life story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully that it inspired someone from where I came from to keep going and know that there's an outlet. And I would like to continue that narrative. And unfortunately, yeah. I'll have to be doing the work for some time yeah. until I can get to a place when I can sleep. But I know <laughs> for me, still yeah. being young and growing in this yeah. industry, I'd be in the restaurant 16 hours a day if I was back home anyway. Right. You know, because it just comes with the territory. Yeah. And I understand that and I love it and I thrive in right. it. You know, like service is, <sighs> I love service, you know, I, I love it. But yeah. I think talking about these um, issues that mm-hmm. aren't really talked about yeah. will open the dialogue and hopefully inspire a lot of people um, to either continue to talk about it or the people that are. Um, doing these things to right. think about them before they're doing it because you may discourage the next person that's like me to continue cooking in this industry. They may not put their head down and keep working. They may say, you know what, I can't do this. Yeah, and that would be... That would be horrible. Uh, that would be a horrible shame. And, and I think the thing that I, I wrote for like the, the one of the blurbs that went out with, with this is I fundamentally believe that this book is going to change how uh, kitchens look, the faces in the kitchen, the bodies in the kitchen, um, how fine dining kitchens are going to look in the next five, mm-hmm. ten years down the road so I, I gave you a little present when we yes, <laughs> started this this is amazing it's a book called cooking with patrick clark that y'all are gonna read an essay about this man in the july issue written by Corsha wilson mm-hmm. and the essay is about like you know, he was a black chef in 
80s and 90s who died very young from a, a heart condition. And he was, and if you go through that book, it was written to benefit his family mm -hmm. after he died. And his son is yeah, a chef. Preston. Yeah, his son yeah, Preston. Cooks with him. He's great. Yeah, yeah, Preston Clark at uh, Lure Fish Bar is continuing his dad's legacy. Um, but the, the people who wanted to support his family are all the biggest names uh, in cooking at that particular era in the early 90s. But then his legacy was was lost in history so i know that there are a lot of sort of young black chefs and stuff like who maybe look out there and they don't see people as no, patrick clark was it for me coming up yeah. i looked up to him i could never meet him yeah but i would always look to him and be like if patrick clark could do it yeah i could do it yeah, yeah. and and i want to you know, and it was funny. I actually have a different book with his face on it in my house that I didn't realize that was him. Mm -hmm. I collect old um, <laughs> books by Seymour Britschke, who used to write about New York restaurants from like the late 70s till he died in the early 90s. And there's Patrick Clark on the front of one of them. I just thought, like, who is that lovely smiling man who would mm -hmm. always be like, smiling at me from my bookshelf? And it wasn't until I sort of realized, I thought, like, as Corsha was writing this, I was like, oh, I wonder if Seymour Bridge ever reviewed his restaurants. Because he was head chef at, at uh, Odeon when he was 24, wow. which in New York City at yeah. the time. And then, like, opened some of his his own places. But then all of a sudden I made the connection. I went home and I got chills <laughs> from, from this. But to find this book and people celebrating his legacy. Mm -hmm. But you... You see some of these other people's legends like being brought up and stuff, and I think unless you were specifically looking for him, he's sort of hard to find. So mm -hmm. I hope there's this reclamation yeah, there of some of these be. chefs who came before. And the thing is, you're going to be the Patrick Clark for a whole lot of kids who maybe right now are teenagers, maybe even little kids who are, I love it, like my uh, grandnieces and nephews, like watch, they watch so much food TV. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun to see them be starstruck by, by people on there. So there are kids who are 10 years old or something like that who are looking at you and are going to be like, I want to be him. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. And that's why I think I have a job to do. That's that's the thing. And you know. So right now, how are you, um, because you're a leader, mm -hmm. and uh, while I have not seen you in service, I get the sense from the the conversations that we have about how to, you know, have meetings and making people breathe mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff. How do you communicate this? How do you hire? How do you uh, communicate all of this to the people who uh, work with you? Um, so when I hire, it's a process. So first we have a meeting. Mm -hmm. I just want to talk to you. I want to get to know you. I ask you weird questions like <laughs> if you could be an animal, what animal would you be? Oh, or what animal would you be? Uh, I was, I mean, honestly, I'd be, I would just be a dog. I think dogs are always so the happy, <laughs> Yeah. you know, um, <laughs> I would just be a dog. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I get to know them. We talk. If there's some sort of connection, yeah. I'll invite them to stage in the kitchen for a day. Okay. So they have to spend a day in the kitchen with me. Mm -hmm. They um, uh, they do light prep work, something very tedious, mm -hmm. like peeling pearl onion petals for like three oh, hours. Oh god, or that's something. a pain in the ass. Yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> um, peeling ginger, like two cases of ginger, oh, they'll do that. God. We go through a lot of ginger paste in the restaurant, and then. Um, They'll stand on the pass and watch service with me and taste through the menu. Yeah. And then they'll cook a dish. I'll bring them a protein. Wow. They'll cook a no dish. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. We'll eat it together, yeah. and then we'll have a conversation afterwards. Okay. Um, my team, you know, I 
make it really, it's really, really important to me to greet every single person when I come into the kitchen okay. and the whole restaurant. So I go through the dining room, I go to the kitchen, hello to everybody, how are you doing? Yeah. How's your mom? How's your baby? Two years old, you know, like yeah. it's good to have that that connection to the staff. Um, and then we try to check through all their stations, <laughs> make yeah. sure everything is good, see how the walk-in's looking. Yeah. And then we have our pre-shift. And the pre-shift to me is really, really important. Yeah. Um, I usually start with a quote of okay. the day. I tape it to the pass. I tape it to the door, in and out of the kitchen, yeah. just to remind them. Um, I talk about yesterday, what went well, what went wrong, mm-hmm. how we can be better, what we need to focus on today, whether it's kitchen cleanliness or remembering a certain dish. And then I always end it on a positive note with shout outs. That's so I, everyone has yeah. the floor to shout people out. Okay. And it'll be like Andrew, for instance. Andrew's a server in my restaurant. He's <laughs> awesome. We have a secret handshake and everything. <laughs> um, I'll say like, Andrew, you really stepped up today. Like, thank you for coming in early. Mm-hmm. We were really like, you know, in the weeds. And mm-hmm. I appreciate you, Andrew. And then we'll, everyone will clap. And then we'll, we'll go around the room and give shout outs and on a positive note. And that's, that's usually a day in the kitchen. Um, it's, it's real. I think it's important to start service positively. Yeah. There's so many negative things I can talk about, but I right. make it a point to only talk about one negative thing mm-hmm. because if you start talking about more than <laughs> that, people get in their head one and then they stop listening to, yeah. you know? So, um, I try to end it always on a positive note and just stick to one topic to talk about. Yeah. I think that's so. a really good thing. And then what is your, I, I'm so fascinated. One of my favorite things to do is just watch a kitchen mm-hmm. and those, it's funny, those ki- those kitchens where it's way chef versus, you know, I loved, um, one of my favorite things is the, the pass at hearth where Mm -hmm. there's, there's a table there and that's just a symphony to me, Mm -hmm. like watching that energy and some things like there's great music playing and stuff. What is, what is the rhythm and energy of, of your kitchen during service? So we, um, when a ticket comes in, we call it out. So Mm -hmm. it's like, um, fire brassicas and the whole kitchen's like, we, (laughs) <laughs> oh you do a wee yeah we do we yeah um and uh yeah that's how it is and we mm-hmm. call out hands and you know mm-hmm. the servers line up and yeah. it's very traditional based off of like the kitchens that You're i've very worked brigade. in yeah absolutely and it's broken down into stations so mm-hmm. we have you know hot apps we have roast we have entremet and we have garmigian pastry mm-hmm. um and it's all expedited off of a one pass yeah so it's a pretty Pretty uh, tight kitchen. <laughs> and yeah. so then with the hiring of that, do you look for people with fine dining experience? Are you willing to look outside of, of that? I look outside of that. For me, a resume is important, mm-hmm. but I've hired based off of experience before. I've done it all. Hired based off of experience, <laughs> yeah. off of references. And it's like the person is the person. And yeah. they're going to be the best version of themselves right. when you're interviewing them. But it's really, I try to like just break them down and like ask weird questions and just see how they are just to remove that shell um, so they can be open and I can really find out, you know, what I'm going to be dealing with in the bad times and the good times. Right. Um, My friend Brian Caswell, a place I used to uh, work, uh, he wrote a piece for us about like five reasons you should always hire somebody with Waffle House on their resume. (laughs) Because they call, there are no paper tickets. Mm -hmm. It's an open kitchen and all that that kind of stuff and people from all different experiences. Because you're so emotionally in tune with how your staff is, what do you do when, uh, this is a question I get from a lot of people trying to figure out how to deal with this. When you see that somebody is off, not just in how they're, they might be executing their job just fine, but you can tell that there's something eating at them or maybe they're 
not in control of the other things in their life and stuff. And you're, you know, you're a thinking, feeling person. How mm-hmm. do you take care of that person? Because you're the boss, and that might be a hard conversation to have. I bring them into the dining room. I don't go in my office because the office seems That's like scary. It, it's kind of scary. Exactly. So go into the dining room. I'll have them bring out water. I'll have them bring out, you know, the cocoa bread. You know, whatever your guest gets at the restaurant, and we'll yeah. sit. And I'll say, like, what's going on? Like, I see mm-hmm. that you're, like, something is a little off. And yeah. most of the times they'll open up to me. And it'll be a teary-eyed moment. Yeah. Or I'll say, like, let's go walk around the wharf. And I'll just start talking about, so where'd you grow up? You yeah. know? And then I'll get to my point later on. But I'll talk to them indirectly first just to mm-hmm. kind of, like, my name's Kwame right now. It's not Chef. Like, yeah. Just let's let's have a conversation because... You're not acting like yourself, and are you okay? You know, even when someone's late, it's like, why are you late? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Do we need to change your schedule? Mm-hmm. Like, what can we do to better, um, to get the best out of you? Because that's what we're ultimately trying to do, right? Is get the best out of them. And when you connect with someone on on an emotional level to some some degree, you know, mm-hmm. you still want to keep it professional. Um, you can get the most out of, of people. We had a well, that was part of the conversation we had at the other the other day with the the mentors, like uh, you know Tom Galicchio was mm-hmm. like it used to be like, you know you're late, you know and and, yeah. and when uh, and he said he's mellowed on that, but now the question is like why were you late? Because mm-hmm. people have lives, people are human beings, and I feel like we're coming more into an era where people are being treated like people, and and I think it's to the benefit of everybody. I mean the podcast that we like is actually airing today. This is. This will be a week from now. <laughs> Timing, it's relative, uh, uh, but was about those kitchens of of, of fear, yeah. where you walk in and everybody just has to be a robot and not a person, yeah. and you know, God forbid. That's how it was coming up. I mean, yeah. it was it was scary. You didn't want to drop anything, you know. And I joke with my cooks about that all the time because you can drop something like, and I'll catch it really quickly because <laughs> reflex because. One, you know, when when I was younger, you'll read in the book, you know, I would get reprimanded for every little yeah. infraction that I had um, yeah. with my family. But I, I cried reading that. Yeah. That was, yeah. wasn't easy. But yeah. that, you know, that's another thing that we don't really think about, you know, especially in the world of fine dining. When someone comes in the kitchen, like everything else is absolved. Like I'm going to talk to you however I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go to anyone to complain. And this is what it is. But for me, I had an emotional or a psychological connection to the way I was being talked to, you know, in these kitchens yeah. versus the way I was talked to when I was like abused as a child. Yeah. And it brought back that fear, that yeah. same, I remember it was like, man, here's this thing that I tried to crumple away and put inside of me. Yeah. And I remember like calling my mother countless times, crying hysterically, yeah. bringing back memories from when I was a kid. And she was like, she also went through it when she was a kid, and she's like, yeah. "You have to realize that voice in the back of your head is not real, and those things that they're telling you, like mm-hmm. that you're worthless, that you're a piece of shit, or whatever, yeah. is not real. That's not who you are. Like when you hear it, say like, thank you, and and keep moving. You know? Yeah. I mean, the untraining of mm-hmm. that is is so important. I I know when I was writing my book, it made me realize. Uh, patterns in my life of kind of people I needed to have around me because it was familiar, but they were always the people who would, for some reason, like say really cruel things, do really cool things because they 
they told me, some of them straight up told me, like, well, I'm doing this for your benefit mm-hmm. to, to do this. And, and really, it was, it's sadism. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. And if you were a person who is inherently like a masochist, then you just soak that up like a, like a, like a sponge. And all chefs are masochists to some yeah. degree. Absolutely. <laughs> and perpetrating the abuse that they saw coming up. And I think we... Regurgitating s- it. Yeah. And that's really what it is. It's just like a child, you know, you, you kind of fall into those same things that happen to you and... Hopefully, hopefully with a book like this, we can break that cycle and just start to think. And that's what I just want people to do is just start thinking about these things. Yeah. And and also think that you it doesn't have to be that that particular way that I, I know that when you have come from a past where people have been cruel for their own benefit mm-hmm. or or just because they were they're just kicking on down the kicks reverberate through the generations mm-hmm. and and they do all that kind of stuff. You At least for me, I remember when I met my husband, I was almost suspicious because he was such a good and kind person. And we had always been people who were like caretakers in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So when you meet somebody else who does that, you're like, what do they want from me? Yeah. Why are they so nice? How did you learn to accept kindness? I mean, clearly your mother had. I'm still learning. Yeah. I'm still learning. What does that and look like? It's, it's, I'm going to be very candid with you. Like yeah. I have, and I'm going to get emotional. That's no, all right. <laughs> I have um, talks with my um fiance where I'm like really upset with her over something like minor that she did Mm -hmm. and she's like I am not out to get you like I know that you've been through some things with people but like I support you and I need you to know that and it's like in those moments I'm just like god like I need to let the guard down because I'm I've been so used to it through my life of you know people intentionally or non-intentionally trying to do that um that it's 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 tough. I'm still learning how to do it, so I don't have an answer of yeah <laughs> of exactly how to um, do that. But yeah. I'm still learning. I uh, you know I went through an exercise in therapy mm-hmm. and as my many many years of therapy, um, where uh, you know you go and talk to childhood you and first of all let them know that it turned out okay mm-hmm. and 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 being kind to your younger self and letting them know that the things that were done were not okay and they weren't a reflection of your worth they were from somebody else's damage Mm -hmm. generally i mean there is genuine correction stuff that needs to happen from people who care but the way that you deliver mentorship and 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 growth and and education and that kind of stuff can be done in a very different kind of way Mm -hmm. and it can really inform how you move forward who are the people who you have seen do that really really well in the field who really have set aside that old model of like break them down that military uh, kind of thing and instead like led with kindness and led with with goodness who have been those people for you um james kent okay yeah is, tell people about yeah i mean it was it was very night and day from you know the other fine dining restaurants yeah. I, when i walked into the kitchens of emp yeah and james kent it felt like for once he didn't see color yeah he was just like Yo, what's up? Like, I don't know if for you all that know James Kent, he's I just like the very him. like, what's up? You know, he's from New York, mm-hmm. you know, grew up in New York. And um, the way he talked to me was led with kindness. Yeah. And it was like a, I don't know, there was just a look in his eye that was like very familiar. It was a, a familial look. Yeah. Like there was no, there was nothing there. It was just like, man, you're a good person. Um, 
And that really, really inspired me. And it still inspires me to this day. The way he made me feel yeah. is the way that I like to make my cooks feel. Even when I'm like reprimanding them, yeah. the way that I'm delivering is, is very important. Yeah. Um, Brian Lockwood was another um, person that really, really led with kindness. I don't know him. Could you tell me about him? Please? He's at 11 Madison Park oh, as yes, well. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah. Um, he led with a lot of kindness. Um, and uh, yeah, that same... Like that same familial look, you know? Yeah. Um, you deserve to be here. You deserve to be here. Yeah. You work hard. You work clean. You know, yeah. like. <laughs> you make it nice. <laughs> you make it nice. Um, it be, me being black wasn't, mm -hmm. I don't think it, it crossed his mind. You know, there's chefs that, you know, Bruce Mattel, he was, he's the associate dean at um, the CIA. Yeah. You know, he's another person that I, I just walked into the CIA. <laughs> hoping to like get in and after we talked and he was like oh you're from the bronx like mm -hmm. i know where you come from this is amazing like we need you in this school because yeah. you're going to be a champion of what we're trying to do here and he said that to me this must have been like seven years ago wow. you know um jason patanovich another chef at the cia you know he saw something in me and and just you know Treated me like a human being, and it's sad it's that, not that <laughs> it's hard not to that treat hard. people. Like yeah. Um, so like <laughs> these people really, really stick out. Yeah. Um, in my career, and there are pr probably plenty more people that I'm not awesome. thinking of right now. Oh, it's um, all right. I always have that like laundry list after the fact. Ah, yeah. Bit, but that I mean, I'll, I'll that's think. A... I'll think. I'll think. Um, hopefully at the James Beard. Um, <laughs> I have. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be there. Speech. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. I'm going to be there. Knock in... on wood. Is this yeah. Wood? I think it's really it's whatever <laughs> it is. We're gonna. We're gonna do that because it's it's really important to to have it's that. To thank and, these people. And, and yeah. I'm just I know that there is a future where people are, are <laughs> naming you for for that kind of thing. Well, let's talk about you being from New York and where your your food comes from. So you're a lot younger than I am. So, but you you know you uh, were born here. So I I moved here in 1996, okay. and I see sort of what it's the blizzard year I think. Oh, a lot of stuff. Actually, I moved here after the blizzard because <laughs> okay. I had been living in upstate New York and that was oh, really, yeah, really crazy. Yeah. So, uh, but I knew when I got here, just like this pantheon of restaurants at the time, what were those New York restaurants that that you saw that you w were like, okay, that, like when somebody calls a pool shot, mm -hmm. like what, what were the ones that you looked to and you're like that? Um, well, honestly, my mother used to take me to Patrick Clark's restaurant. Oh, my God. <laughs> As a baby. Um, I have faint which, memories which of it. Which one of his restaurants? Tavern. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. um, there. Um, but a lot of them were in the Bronx, honestly. They were, like, yeah. little, um, Cucci Frito's shops oh. in the Bronx. They were, like, West African restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, small diners. It was a lot of, like, smaller restaurants yeah. where I grew up grew up in the Bronx, you yeah. know, Little Italy, yeah. we used to go and get all the different types of pastries, um, Arthur Avenue and yeah. stuff, so it was a lot of, like, things like that the, that I remember. The Bronx is getting its due now, yeah. I like, after a long, long I time. I just wrote a list of, uh, well, they didn't include it, but I did something with Newsweek, and I had a whole list of, like, mm -hmm. all my favorite Bronx spots, well, I'll share with you. I would love to see that. Yeah. I, I had written a, a story when I worked at CNN when um, Anthony Bourdain did his mm -hmm. his uh, Bronx episode. I thought that was awesome. I was so <laughs> fun. He did such a great job yeah. with that. Uh, 
Okay, now that that's where I get teary, <laughs> thinking about him. Mm-hmm. Then how did you marry this with then the the African food and the Nigerian influences? We, we, we were shouting out in the Best New Chefs uh, story. There's mm-hmm. a dish made with these seeds that yeah, I know they were going yeah. nuts in the food and wine kitchen trying to find the ingredients <laughs> for this because they wanted to do correctly mm-hmm. by you. Can you talk about that dish and where that came from? So a goosey stew is probably my first food memory. Um, a goosey okay. stew is a national dish of Nigeria. Wow. Uh, one of the, okay. I mean, I can't say that, but like jollof rice, a goosey mm-hmm. stew. Um, but it's a, a dish of these ground melon seeds, mm-hmm. um, pumpkin leaves. Oh. Um, you have iru, which is like a fermented locust bean. Um, very similar to like the flavor profile of like a miso or something. You were saying, oh, I love fermented. Yeah. I love seeds. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really great. And then... Um, we use like ginger and garlic and mm-hmm. onions and um, uh, like scotch bonnet chilies mm-hmm. and uh, fish stock or, or fi- whatever stock you're using mm-hmm. for whatever um, protein you're going to serve. You could do chicken or fish, yeah. uh, crayfish powder, which is like little tiny shrimp ground up into oh. a powder. And then I use Maggie cube, which is like kind of oh. controver- <laughs> co- controversial for some people in Africa. But mm-hmm. I, for me, that's mm-hmm. how my aunts made it. You know, right. that's how my, you know... My uh, aunts back in Nigeria, they would always put Maggie mm-hmm. Cube in it and give it this umami like yeah. bump, you know. Um, and you you cook all this down with palm oil, and all these flavors like melt together. Some it's comfort just so like so good. And the goosey <laughs> seed is is kind of like a um, it's a melon seed. It's almost like a pumpkin mm-hmm. seed a little bit. And you take it and you grind it up into a, a powder, mm-hmm. and you cook that and everything, and you let it simmer. You have to cook it out for a while. To, for it to break down. And I really can't describe the flavor. <laughs> it's We serve it in my restaurant with monkfish. We okay. braise the monkfish in that. Monkfish, yeah. And then we serve it with fufu. Um, fufu is a powdered form of like pounded yam. So we have mm. yam, these giant cassavas <laughs> um, in Nigeria that you boil and you pound in a huge mortar and pestle until it's elastic. And mm. then you use that to dip into the oh agusi stew. So we serve it in my restaurant um, probably like uh, one season, like usually like in the spring, mm-hmm. um, for like three months, okay. and we do a goosey monkfish, oh, and it is it's fantastic. It's so, fantastic. So for your customer base, I think probably a lot of people you probably had some of these things at home or on travels, but they're maybe don't get to see it in the context of a fine dining restaurant. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about getting diners. Into In, involved, you know, yeah. we, did, we just put it out there. We put it on the menu. <laughs> um, I trust my my dining room team to right. really convey the message because they are, you know, right. They're the first point of contact for these, like fufu. They're like, what is fufu? And they have to explain to them. Yeah. And usually they're really excited. My yeah. dining room staff is very diverse, so mm-hmm. you'll see Ethiopian people reaching in. You'll see, you know, um, Venezuelan. You'll see mm-hmm. people from America. You'll see all walks of life. So they're really excited about the food because it's different. And it reminds them of home a little bit. Right. You know, so I remember one of my proudest moments in Kith and Ken was walking through the dining room and seeing white people eating right. fufu <laughs> and stew with their hands. Oh, wow. And then a Nigerian table next to them teaching them how to do it. It was like... Talk across the tables. <laughs> this is why I do this, you know? I want to see all walks of life mm-hmm. eating this food that they probably would never be eating. Right. Um, but also, like, they're able to celebrate within the same experience, you know? And then also people uh, of color can celebrate an experience while still celebrating their culture. Yeah. They can celebrate a graduation over 
fufu or oxtails in this beautiful ambiance, enjoying a craft cocktail or pairing a wine that goes with it Mm -hmm. um, and feel a part of the conversation. Yeah, that is such an important thing. And I feel like when this recipe comes out in in the issue, what I'm really looking forward to is what's going to be the Instagram moment. Mm -hmm. Because you see certain dishes uh, go viral, like Alison Roman's chickpeas do Mm -hmm. or or Samin Nosrat's uh, focaccia and stuff. I am so looking for people cooking this on Instagram yeah, yeah. and seeing like, I mean, to see people like engage with your, your food, this food is, that has been held dear to you for such a long time. It's got to be mm-hmm. such an emotional thing. How's it been for your mom? It's been a roller coaster for her, too. She's very, very proud. Um, she's a personal chef in the Cayman Islands now, you know, wow. rough life. But <laughs> <Poor baby. laughs> she, lives, she lives in Grand Cayman on the beach. Yeah. Um, and she's a, a personal chef to a lovely, lovely family. Um and she's very proud. You know, she's coming to the Beard Awards for the first time. Oh, my you gosh. You know, going, she grew up in Chicago. So yeah. this will be her first time back in Chicago since she was a kid. Oh, my goodness. You know, I'm going to try to take her around to all the restaurants. Bring her so on the red carpet. I will. I will. <laughs> so I'm looking forward um, to really sharing this experience with my family, the people that have been there. You know, my mom is probably the one person in my life that has never given up on me. Yeah. You know, she's put me through some things to better me as yeah. a man. Um, but all in all, she's never given up on me. She's never closed the door. And um, I'm just very happy to share this experience with her. I can't wait to meet her in Chicago and thank her for you, <laughs> for your your existence and the, not just the chef you are, but the man you are. It's, you. Uh, you know, you've done good work here. <laughs> Is there something that we haven't covered that you want to talk about that you want to say out to the up and coming people, that 10 year old kid mm-hmm. who is seeing you on TV, hearing your voice, maybe getting to, you know, see your books and, and see your, your being on the front of this in a chef coat. I would say to the people, you know, that are, you know, hopefully the next generation or even, or even people that are older than me that are thinking of what to do. Don't let anyone define your path Yeah. because your path is your path. And um, I remember a a chef telling me that I would never become a chef. He's like, you, you, you will never be a chef. Like you, you can't cook. You're lazy. Like, and he was like, you need to, you need to get screamed at you need to get yelled at. You need to just like go through like what everyone else Mm -hmm. has gone through. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to work hard Mm -hmm. and you're not going to tell me what path I need to take to get to where I need to be because my definition of success is different from what yours is. And I want people to understand that and to know that it is okay to take your own path, to live in your own purpose and to do something that makes that feels right to you because you have to live with yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. I kids, the kids are listening. (laughs) Hear that? I have a, a selfish question to ask. What's in your nutcrackers? Oh, in my nutcrackers? Yeah, because like when I was reading <laughs> the book, I was like, I've had them. <laughs> like you buy it on the beach, you. I got I got to tell you that off camera. Okay, <laughs> it made me so thirsty, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I can't wait to like <laughs> eat your goosey stew because I want to have you make it and I want to try it at yes. home because yeah, I also because so we've been talking about like me coming to DC and like come watch lineup mm-hmm. and, and stuff and, and pre shift let's do and that stuff. and we'll we'll cook it together but we should cook it in the kitchen here the food and wine kitchen yeah. we'll do a goosey stew I would love that that's yeah. gonna be so good yeah so I have that um that 
Oprah secret question. So you're okay. So now that we started rolling out the podcast, I'm going to have to switch up these questions. Because now people <laughs> who've actually heard the podcast know what's coming because, you know, I know how much you put into everything around you. And I also know that you're a man who does not <laughs> take time to breathe or anything. What is the selfish thing that you want for yourself? And this is a question to the universe. The universe can help give you this thing. What mm -hmm. is that thing that you want to ask the universe for? I want to be able to take a month off uh, every year. Yeah, yeah. I want I want that because when I'm on, I'm I'm working mm -hmm. every single day. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's what I want from the universe. Yeah, I want to figure out a way to do that. Dear restaurant deities, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and good people of DC. <laughs> I think people deserve it. You yeah. know, I think people do it. They do it in other countries. You know, no matter what industry yeah. you're in. Oh um, And I think it's it's important to have that. Because if you're an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. it's tough to turn off. You can't turn your phone off. You, yeah. you can't turn off. But being able to say, like, listen, mm -hmm. I'm going away. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing my phone into figure, the ocean. Figure it out for this month. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we can live. Because you only get, what, 77 summers? Is that what it is? Something like that. That's your on next average, book is 77 summers. What are you going to do with them? Yeah. You know? Oh, you that's real deep. Yeah. <laughs> so, really, so I'm thinking you have some guest chef come in and be like, okay, here, mm -hmm. do not crash the car. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, take it over. Exactly. And like, have it be a summer thing. Or exactly. whatever. Oh, I want that for you. So now we move on to the speed round. Okay, let's do it. All right. What is your comfort food? My comfort food this is so simple. Um, is chicken wings and pork fried rice from Chinese Takeout. Do you have a there's a there's a Chinese takeout that I love in in DC City Lights of China. Yeah, <laughs> that I love in particular. What is the place that you love? It's called Asian American too, and I don't even know if they have a number one, but that's the name <laughs> of it. And it's amazing. One of, one of those things where you like. I, I find this on I, you seamless a lot, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's places, and I'll walk by it, and I'm like, oh, that's the place I get the food from. That yeah, I love so exactly. Much. Right. Are there any sauces with with the chicken wings or mumbo sauce? Okay. DC baby. Oh, okay. Shout out DC. <laughs> so yeah. tell about mumbo sauce. So mumbo sauce is like a condiment that they serve in takeout restaurants in mm -hmm. DC. It's like a ketchup hot sauce oh my God. mixture. There's like a lot of like corn syrup in there probably. <laughs> um, some recipes use like pineapple juice, ketchup, hot sauce. Um, yeah, it's great. There's also a local company called DC, um, DC City... DC City Mumbo Sauce, if I'm saying it correctly, <laughs> but they're um, they're great and they make their own like homemade version that you can buy in certain locations. So. Oh, yum! Well, that's, yeah. that's amazing. What is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Last, oh my god, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> so I was just in LA. Mm -hmm. um, the restaurant is called. I need to shout it out. It's called. Um, it's called Destroyer. Oh, in Los Angeles. is that Jordan Kahn's place? I don't know or what it no, was. It's, but I, was it's, I had a meeting. It was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it was this little restaurant. Oh, it is Jordan Kahn. I just got the the off camera. Not it is Jordan Kahn. Who was what? Oh, he was yeah. He was best new chef. Oh, he was. <laughs> yeah. So I was, and he's and he's also got Vespertine. Okay. Yeah. So I was at this. I was having a meeting at like the studio. There was nothing on the strip but this little restaurant. I walk in. I see like grain bowl it, it reminded me of like copenhagen slash japan yeah the restaurant it was, and it was so strange it was in the middle of nowhere i was like i don't want this food this is gonna be like whatever this is like for all the offices here yeah. and i walk out and i'm like all right let me come back in i should have googled it but i i just didn't and i went in there was a dish it was like chicken confit spigarello um and like grits i was like 
Okay. And then roasted strawberries. In my mind, I was like, <laughs> this is going to be like the silliest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Still had no idea where I was. I got it. I sat down and I took one bite and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> where am I? It's when you look at a dish like, what? Like, you, <laughs> Those like, things should not go together. Yeah. <laughs> and you take another bite and you're like, how? And another bite. And it was just... To the last spoonful, I was savoring it. And I went to the cashier. I was like, I just need to tell you, <laughs> this is amazing. And I love everything that you all are doing. And they were like, okay, man, appreciate it. You know, like they were. They're they like, w- yeah, we know. <laughs> no, no, they weren't like, yeah, we know. They were like, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know, and they had to get back to service. But it was like, yeah, it was, that was mind blowing for me. So he was in Copenhagen with us. Okay. Yeah. And he is, this is so weird, but you know, I can talk to just about any chef. He's the one chef who I've been too intimidated to go up and talk really? to him. And I think, so dear Jordan Kahn. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Thumbs up. I had no idea that that, that that was the restaurant. Oh my gosh. Yes. So what is the last meal that somebody cooked for you at their house? Not in their restaurant, but at their house. Because people don't cook for chefs. Yes. The last meal someone cooked at their house. Hmm. Man, that's hard. I'm trying to think of the last time I was in someone's house. Because I've been on... Like, yeah, you just are constant state of travel right now. Traveling so much. Um, Any holidays? Or is your mom? My my fiance. I mean, honestly. Yeah. What does she cook for you? She cooks pasta. Oh, that was the last thing I had. So she made pasta. It was... I don't know. She always gets like so many different... If you talk to her mm-hmm. for three days, she'll tell you 18 times that she studied abroad in Italy. So <laughs> Go Maya. <laughs> go Maya. Um, I always joke with her about that. But she made some sort of pasta, some shape I don't even know, that she'll be able to tell you where it came from and why it's shaped that and named that. And it was a simple pasta with like, I don't know, like crispy chicken and like a white wine sauce. And I remember... Um, I had my friend come down to help me at Kith and Kin mm-hmm. um, from New York, and he had just flown in. He came straight to the restaurant. We went from the restaurant to the house. I was like, I got to eat something before I go to sleep, which is like 2 in the morning. Yeah. And I heat <laughs> up hours. I heat up her pasta in the microwave, and the emulsion still doesn't break. Like She emulsified like chicken <laughs> stock, butter, white wine, a little bit Whoa. of cream, anchovy paste, like all this stuff. And emulsion this. was perfect. Perfect emulsion. I put it in the microwave probably longer than I should have. Mm. And that was, she cooks the best food I've ever had in my life. Oh my God. Go Maya. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that is yeah. wonderful. So. What living musician would you want to cook for and what would you cook for them? Living musician. Because I have to caveat that because otherwise everybody's going to go <laughs> way back. And living musician I would really like to cook for. Because um, it's another shout out to the universe because if true. you're listening... If they came walking into Kith and Kin. That I'd be really, really excited about? Yeah. Or at your house. (laughs) It would probably probably be either Drake would be really cool to cook for. (laughs) He's a restaurateur. (laughs) Yeah, I'd cook for him. Um, Or... Hmm. I'm trying to think who I listen to a lot right now. Yeah. Like, I'm honestly, honestly listening to a lot of A Boogie with the hoodie. He's from the Bronx. He's a rapper. <laughs> and Tory Lanez, another rapper out of Canada. Yeah. So those three would be really cool to sit down and like cook for. What would you make? I would make um, I would make my gooseberry um, piri piri mm-hmm. salad with like um, green seasoning, marinated tomatoes and avocados. Mm-hmm. And I would make just 
oxtails with rice and peas, like That's Jamaican so oxtails with rice and peas. Dear Drake, <laughs> dear everybody else, we—it's so funny because like Drake is an ongoing topic of conversation yeah. in in our office and and especially the cheesecake factory stuff. <laughs> For some reason, we're all always saying that. So, That's hilarious. Take Drake to the cheesecake factory, <laughs> um, and then you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do? When I have five un 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 un, un interrupted minutes for self-care yeah. what would i do in my yeah. perfect five minutes yeah i get a massage oh i never have time to do a massage because it's like a whole hour you yeah. know i like to do like the 90 minute massage right and i never have enough time so i maybe no because that's a five minute massage would kind of suck yeah. right um <sighs> probably just write out everything that's going through my mind and just yeah. get it on paper yeah because lists are very, very important to me. Yeah. And thank you for what you have put on paper because I really, really, truly believe that this book is going to change a whole lot of people's lives in a, in a really special and meaningful way. And I hope you are getting a chance to feel all the glow of what's happening right now. You earned it. Thank you. And I am so grateful for the time Thank you were you. here today. Thank you. This was great. Oh, my gosh. And oh wait, oh, bottom part of the thing. I always have to read this because <laughs> I'm usually so emotional by the end. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much to our guest today, Kwame Onwachi, and in, on Instagram at BastedMind, <laughs> and uh, restaurants are Kith and Kin and Philly Wing Fry. And please go buy Notes from a Young Black Chef. You will not regret it by 10 copies give them <laughs> to everyone who you know and thank you to our producers jennifer martnick and alicia cabral thanks to douglas wagner for our delightful theme song if you like what you heard please tell a friend write a review or rate us those stars and comments really matter if you think there's something that there you'd like us for us to talk about or a guest you'd like to hear from please let us know you can find me on twitter at kitten with a whip find out more about the show and catch up on all the episodes at foodandwine.com and at food and wine's youtube page thanks for listening take good care of yourself till the next time.